Hi, this is Pastor Joshua Morocco, and you are listening to our King's Central Podcast. I hope you get encouraged. I hope the Word of God brings transformation to your life and empowers you. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the Word. Hey, while you're standing, take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 22. It's a little mistake on your notes. It's Luke 22. And we want to read verse 54 through 62. Would you read that with me today? Luke 22, starting to read at verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, but when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl was seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone saw him and said, You are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you were talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Let us pray. Wait a minute. We can't pray yet. There's some more verses. (laughs) Acts chapter 2. Everybody turn there for a moment. We're going to give the rest of the story. Acts 2. Turn to verse 22. Would you do that? Acts 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on nailing him to the cross. Everybody say this, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Hallelujah. Go on down to verse 32. And he says these words, God has raised this Jesus to life. Everybody say that with me. God has raised this Jesus to life. Now read the next part. And we are all witnesses of the fact. Now let's shoot on down to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for every person 
who is under the sound of my voice today, whether they're in the parking lot or they're here in church building or whether they're on streaming. We're thankful that on this Easter Sunday we can gather in your name and worship you. So I pray now, Holy Spirit, come in power. Come upon me. Allow the word you've given me to be able to be communicated in such a way that when we leave today, we'll leave changed. I pray for great freedom, freedom in the Holy Ghost to be given to me so that I can preach your word with power. And Lord, we'll be thankful for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. How do you know something is real? Well, you say, well, we live in an information age, Pastor. There are all kinds of information that is available to us. All I got to do is get on Google or get on whatever search engine I'm using, and I can find anything. Right. Probably can. But how do you know what you've just read is true or not? Well, there's fact checkers. Oh, okay. And so... How do you know the fact-checkers got their facts straight? You say, well, Pastor, there are experts. But how expert are the experts? Galileo in his day said the world was round. The experts said, no, the world is flat. They were so convinced that the world was flat that they condemned Galileo. I always get a kick out of the fact that things have changed so dramatically very quickly. I, as you notice, my anatomy is a little larger than some of yours, and some of you are beating me. That's okay. But I've always had an interesting drama develop in my life, and that is I want to keep my weight down as much as I can. The older I've gotten, the harder that's been. And I remember how there was a time when nutritionists said eat a lot of high carbs, Low fat, low protein, and you'll be just fine. Then Dr. Atkins came on the scene. He said, oh, that's all wrong. You have high protein, low carbs. And then, of course, now we have got keto, and that's even more radical. It's, you know, used to be low fat. Keto says high fat. Low, no carbs, low protein, but high fat. I think I like the high fat. Because the Bible says fatness is the blessing of God. Hallelujah. It's interesting to me how things shift so rapidly, so quickly. And all the experts that were experts at one time aren't experts anymore. They're laughed at. You say, well, pastor, is there such a thing as truth? Yes, there is. And the reason I can say yes, there is, is because God exists, who is the fountainhead of all truth. You know, it's interesting to me that sometimes we're not aware of the fact that there is no such thing as pure science. You are aware of that. Uh, one of the great writers of our time, Polanyi, who was a man who uh, not only was a scientist, but was able to put scientific theory into uh, practical thought. He said, look, every scientist has a presupposition by which he's working from. Everyone sees things from a particular perception. 
The human being is the one who integrates with whatever one's working on. The issue really is the issue of does truth exist? Does God exist? And the biggest question that we all have is if God exists, how in the world do we get to know him? If he speaks truth, how do we hear it? And how do we know it? Well, you know, I've got good news for you. The writer of Hebrews wrestled with this. And he said, in times past, God has spoken through the prophets. He is saying that God, the God who made all things, saw a man and he said, I am going to adopt that man. I'm going to make him a member of my family and his children members of my family. And I'm going to work in their life. I'm going to speak to them. And I'm going to act on their behalf. And I'm going to show the world who I am and what truth is by what I say and by what I do. And that's exactly what God did. Chose a man by the name of Abraham who had children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And he worked through a people called the Israelites. Today we call them the Jewish people. And he began to show who he is and what is true and what is false by his laws that he gave them and by the prophets who spoke in his name and by the actions he took to deliver them and to help them and to free them. But it's so interesting to me that the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, but in these last days he has spoken to us through his Son. You see, even though God spoke to all of us through the Israelites and through the Jewish people today, and that is why you must understand the power of the fact that the Jewish people still exist. All hell has tried to eliminate them from the world. You know why? It's because their very existence declares the existence of God. And that's why you had a Hitler who tried to destroy them, and every nation has tried to destroy them. But there's a God who says, those are my people. You say, why would he do that? It's because 2,000 years ago, through those people, God came. He literally said, I am going to show you who I am. I'm going to take robes of flesh. I'm going to live among you. I'm going to walk among you. I'm going to speak. I'm going to do the things that you need done. I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to raise the dead. I'm going to cast out demons. And I've come to do one job. I've come to bring salvation to all of mankind by destroying the works of the devil. You see, that one who came, his name was Jesus. And he understood something very clearly. That the problem with mankind wasn't that they didn't know enough. They were under a tyrant's bondage. A tyrant's name was Satan, and he was lying to them, and he still lies to them today. But God decided to do something about it. He came to literally destroy the power of Satan. You say, well, what did he do? He did the two things that Satan's weapons are the strongest. It's not just his lying, but his lying produces in the life of human beings False desires, a desire to sin against God. His real power was not only that people would sin, 
but it was the power of death. So when God came in robes of flesh, Jesus himself, the invisible God made visible. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus said. Jesus himself came to destroy those two weapons, sin and death. He died on a cross, and in that death, he was the righteous, dying for the unrighteous. And in that moment, he could be the sacrifice for all of humanity's sin. And when he rose from the dead, he shattered death once and for all. And he could say, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he could offer all mankind eternal life. Wow. How powerful is that? It is awesome and it is wonderful and it is glorious and marvelous. You say, well, Pastor, how do I, how do I know that, how do I know that that actually happened? How do I know that? How, how, how can I be assured of that? Well, just like anything else that's happened in history, we know what has happened in history by, by evidence. If you went to a court of law, you will notice that there are people that will be tried in courts today, and they'll be convicted or they'll be released by evidence. You can't repeat history, but you can look at the moments in history and what evidence there is. And every Easter, I take time to share about the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ the reason I'm so passionate about it is because I did a master's degree in ancient history at the University of Southern California. I thought I would go on for a PhD in ancient history, and God had a different plan for my life. After I finished the master's degree, he spoke to me and said, I called you to be a pastor, not a professor on the college campus. So I went and got another master's degree and a doctorate in the area of ministry, in the area of what I do today. But I still have been fascinated by historical events. And I did a big thing on the evidence of the resurrection. I'm not going to speak on that today. If you're interested in that, you can look at all of the Easter messages I've preached for the last 40 years, and I'm sure I'll refer to them. But I do want to preach on an evidence of the resurrection, but it's not all of the things I've said before. I want to focus today on the evidence of a witness. In a court of law, you will notice that it's the witnesses that bring condemnation or bring release to the person on trial. And I want to speak about the evidence from one person. Tonight, I'll be speaking from the evidence of another person. And it is the life of one man, Simon. You know him as Peter. I want us to take a look at Simon's life. Now, Simon first met Jesus in an interesting way. It was his brother Andrew that was a disciple of John the Baptist. In fact, a friend of Peter's named John, the son of Zebedee, was also a disciple of John the Baptist. And John and Andrew, Peter's brother, had gone to see John the Baptist. And they were there when Jesus came to visit John the Baptist. And John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And that drew attention to John, the son of Zebedee, and Andrew, the brother of Peter. And 
They followed Jesus, spent the whole day with him. And then, of course, you'll notice Andrew goes and gets his brother, Peter, and says, you know, we have, we have found the Messiah. Wow, that's quite a statement. And he, he introduces his brother Peter. His name was Simon. He introduced Simon to Jesus. And first off the bat, Jesus changes his name from Simon to Cephas or to Peter. And Peter and John and John's brother James and Nathaniel and, of course, Peter's brother Andrew and a few others began to start to follow Jesus. Now, they weren't quote-unquote disciples yet, but they were followers. And Jesus took them to a wedding feast. That was the first miracle where he turned water into wine. They were there when Jesus cleansed the temple for the first time at the beginning of his ministry. And they began to follow him. And you'll notice that Jesus even changed his residence from Nazareth to Capernaum where Peter and Andrew and John and James lived. And miracles began to happen. But there came a moment when you read in the book of Matthew or Mark, but especially in the Gospel of Luke, you'll notice that Luke mentions there was a call, but that call for Peter came as a result of a powerful miracle. It was preceded by a miracle catch of fish. You know the story. Peter had fished all night. They hadn't caught a thing. He was putting the nets away along with his brother Andrew and his friends James and John. And Jesus uses his boat to preach to the crowd that had gathered there in Capernaum. And after he had preached, he took to Peter and he said, Peter, go on out and cast your net again into the deep. Well, Peter says, well, you know, we fished all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you said it, Jesus, I'll do it. So they go out and you know the story. They threw the nets over and they caught this huge fish. It was the greatest catch of fish they'd ever had in their life. They brought it in, and of course you'll notice what happened, that uh, Peter repented of his sin. And it was at that point Jesus called him. He said, I'm going to call you to become a fisher of men. And here's what it says. They left everything. They left all to follow him. It was at that point they moved from just being a distant follower to being a disciple. And you'll notice what happened next. You'll notice that Jesus called 12 to come to him, and Peter was a part of that. But Peter was also a part of an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. It was those three that were there on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was glorified. Jesus' heavenly body became revealed in the physical realm of earth. They were, they, were, they were freaked out of their minds. And as you know, Moses and Elijah appeared with them and talked with them. They were there when Jesus he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. In fact, they were there in the Garden of Gethsemane and with the twelve, but Jesus called those three, Peter, James, and John, to go with them a distance from the twelve, and they were to pray together, and they were to be there to watch and help Jesus pray you all know the tragedy that they all went to sleep. But they were there. They were part of the inner three. In fact, when you look at Peter, you realize that Peter was a take 
charge kind of guy. He was a natural leader. He was the fellow who first walked on water, the only person that we know in all of humanity other than Jesus that walked on water because of his natural tendency to lead. He was the one who confessed Jesus as Christ, the Son of the living God. In fact, he was the spokesman for the twelve. They were all kind of a little timid, but Peter wasn't timid at all. In fact, he was impulsive, but he was very devoted to Jesus. He would say things, and then everybody would wonder, what did Peter just say? <laughs> he would say what's on his heart, but he loved the Lord. Well, you say, well, pastor, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it has everything to do with what's about to happen. You'll notice as we read our text in Luke 22, how Peter was such a leader and truly was devoted to Jesus, and yet he failed so miserably. You say, well, how in the world did he fail? How did that happen? Well, keep in mind, Jesus is arrested, and Peter had just bragged about Everybody else would desert you, Jesus, but I won't desert you. I will, I will, I'll give my life for you. And he attempted to do that when all the other disciples fled. The only disciple that went with Jesus to the high priest's place was John, because he knew the high priest. And Peter kind of followed behind and got there a little late, but he got there. And John led him into the courtyard. And there he is. And you noticed what happened. Uh, one of the servant girls said, you're, you're one of his disciples. And somebody else said the same thing. And then somebody else said the same thing. And he denied Christ three times. And the moment he denied Christ three times, Jesus was standing there. Jesus turned, looked straight at him. And he remembered, oh my, Jesus told me that I would deny the Lord this day three times. And he began to weep bitterly. How did that happen? How did it happen? How did it happen? Well, if you trace Peter's life, he was just like us. We were all proud. We all want to be seen as top dog. We all want to be seen as the greatest. And not only that, not only did his pride and his fear trip him up, but he was marked by Satan. He was a marked man by Satan. In Luke 22, 31 through 34, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Whoa, what a word. Did you know everyone sitting in this auditorium, everyone watching me by streaming, every one of you out in the parking lot are marked by Satan? One of the things Satan hates the most is his gather, the gathered church, the church of Jesus Christ that would gather. And the time that Satan hates the most is Easter. Because every Easter we declare the victory of Jesus over the devil. And that is why, at least in these last two years, during this time of plague, it's been interesting how the church has come under such pressure. We all love to have publicity, but sometimes publicity doesn't help and uh, really undermines what God's called the church to do. Well, Pete Simon was marked. Peter was marked. 
But imagine what Peter must have felt like when Jesus turned to him after he had denied the Lord three times, after all of his boastings, after all his attempt to even be there. He denied the Lord. That little statement, he wept bitterly. When Jesus looked at him, he wept bitterly. I don't know if you could describe it any better than that. Here's a broken man. A man who's broken, he realized that all of his attempt to be brave ended in vanity, ended in failure. All of the boastings ended in failure. He had broken the Lord's heart. When Jesus died on the cross that day, Peter's whole world was shattered even further. The shame, the disillusionment, the Oh my, the fear. You find the disciples seemingly being, gathering together somehow to try to hide. They didn't know what was going to happen. They thought what happened to Jesus would happen to them. Now here's the question that I want to leave you with as we think about this and ponder together. What happened that would cause Peter, here's a man who denies his Lord, who his world is shattered. He'd been following Jesus for three and a half years. Here's a man who walks on water. Here's a man who, in the power of Jesus' name, cast out demons, healed the sick. Here's a man who saw Jesus glorified. Here's a man who was there when Jesus raised the dead. Here's a man who'd seen all these things, known God's power. God's power had flowed through them. And yet, Jesus is now dead. And he had denied his Lord. How do you get a man like that? Fifty days later, standing before a crowd in the very town where Jesus died, was crucified, in walking distance to the tomb, here's a man who had denied the Lord in that very city, now standing before this crowd and saying, Jesus is risen preaching the gospel, telling them that the Lord has come, the Messiah has come, and 3,000 of them come to faith in Jesus. How in the world does that happen? Well, it's not going to happen by mind over matter. It isn't going to happen by some nice little story. It isn't going to happen by some Passover plot where somebody was going to arrange some things so it looked like Jesus was going to die and rise from the dead. Give me a break. If you were a Peter, that's the last thing you wanted to even know about that Jesus is alive. You're shattered. You're broken. You're like so many people I meet today. Their lives seem to just be, they, they, they live like the living dead. No wonder zombies are so popular today. There's a lot of people like them. They're alive, but they're not really alive. Are you with me here today? What happened? What happened to Peter from that moment that he failed, the moment his world was shattered, the moment where he was overwhelmed by fear, to now standing and boldly proclaiming Jesus is the Messiah. I'll tell you what happened. He met the risen Lord. 
he met the risen Lord. In Luke 24, 33, the two men who met the risen Lord on the road to Emmaus came back to the disciples, and the disciples immediately told them these words. In verse 33 of Luke 24, the Lord is risen and appeared to Simon. Paul the Apostle, years later, in writing about the resurrection, tells us about the resurrection appearances, that he appeared to 500 at one time. He appeared to, uh, he, he appeared to the 12 and so many other people. But in that, he also mentions he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. Why Peter? Why would Jesus personally appear to Peter? before he even appeared to the twelve. What was that about? It's because Jesus had prayed for him that his faith would not fail. Jesus yearned to let Peter experience what Jesus had just died for on a cross, forgiveness. I believe in that appearance Jesus forgave him. I believe he specifically appeared to Peter because he wanted to restore Peter back to the fellowship of the apostles. You know, the hardest thing when you fail is not just the mental uh, effect of it, but it's even the effect on people that are close to you. I've seen pastors who have failed morally, and the effect on the entire church has been horrendous. Horrible, horrible, horrible. And so I believe what Jesus was doing was not only forgiving him personally, but also allowing him to say, Peter, I want you back into the fellowship. But then you'll notice even something else. Jesus appeared to the twelve, appeared to them twice. But there was a th another time, a very interesting time, it's recorded there in the end of the Gospel of John, in John chapter 21, and you'll notice that Peter has now seen Jesus. He doesn't know what to do with himself. You've got to understand, they have no idea. Okay, now what do we do? Jesus died, he rose from the dead, what do we do now? He's not what we thought he was going to be. He wasn't going to rule and reign as the Messiah on this planet and throw the yoke off of the Roman Empire and make Israel strong again. That wasn't his plan. We don't know all that they were supposed to do here now. You see, we sometimes think the disciples had it all together. They don't have it all together, and it brings a lot of joy to all of us knowing that we don't have it all together either. But they knew one thing, that Jesus was alive and so now Peter says to some of his friends who were fishermen, I'm going fishing. And of course, being the leader that he is, they all traveled with him. You see him fishing all night. They haven't caught a single thing. And all of a sudden, they see somebody on the shore in the, in the, in the faint light of that new day. And the, somebody on the shore says to him, throw your nets on the other side. Well, of course, they hadn't caught anything all night anyways. So they figure, well, we don't have anything to lose. They pull in their nets, they throw it on the other side, and all these fish come, and John is on the boat, and he says, it's the Lord. Duh. And Peter does something very strange. He jumps in the water. Now, you have no idea why he jumped in the water. Now, we assume he jumped in the water because he wanted to swim to Jesus and get there first. We don't know that. 
doesn't say. He could have been embarrassed. We don't know. But he jumps in the water, and the next scene we have is Jesus has caught his own fish. He's cooking breakfast for them by an open fire. They pull the fish in. He's already ready to serve them. And he pulls Peter aside. Personal conversation only this time. It has a different meaning. It's not just for forgiveness now and restoration. It's dealing with his original call. Remember the first time he was called into ministry, what happened? It was preceded by a miracle catch. Now again, this miracle catch has happened. When they couldn't catch anything, now they have a miracle catch because of the Lord. And he says to Peter, do you love these more than me? And I think he's pointing at the fish. The hundreds of fish they caught, do you love these more than me? Do you love me, Peter? Lord, I love you. Then Jesus says, feed my sheep. He calls him back to the original call to be a fisher of men, to be able to be used by God to minister life to people, not just to make a living, but to minister life in the power of the Lord. He says it again to him three times, and by the third time, Peter's, you know, wondering, what in the world is this about? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Why? Why? In the course of all that had happened in Peter's life, when he had denied the Lord, something happened in him. He lost his vision. He lost his call. He lost his passion for souls. Listen, we can go through life and we can lose our passion. We're still sitting in the pews, yes. We still love the Lord, yes. But we sometimes wonder, can God still use me? And I say, yes. And it was a restoring of not just his part of the fellowship and not only restoring him to the Lord, but restoring him to his call. And it was a moment where Jesus healed probably the most traumatic moment of Peter's life when he had denied the Lord. Think about how he did this. When did he deny Jesus? It was by a fire. And how many times did he deny him? Three times. How many, where was he when Jesus had him reaffirm his love for Jesus? It was by a fire. And how many times did Jesus call on him to reaffirm his love? Three times. I've been to the very place. Every time we go to Israel, that's one of the places we visit. It's right there on the shore. That's the traditional place where Peter met the Lord. And he reaffirmed his love for Jesus. Amazing. Jesus not only restored his call, but healed and put in its place a new memory. I love you, Jesus. Feed my sheep. The very horrible memory of the failure now becomes something new. God can turn everything to good to those who love him. Oh, come on. You say, Pastor, what about all the things we've gone through as a church? Hello, God can turn it all to good. In one moment's time, God can breathe upon this island. And thousands can come to the Lord. God could use you to be a witness to the Lord. What is God saying to us today by this special thing God did? Well, not only did Peter get renewed and restored his call, 
and was healed emotionally, an inner healing. But then God filled him with his spirit, gave him the power of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, empowered him and said, I am going to have my power. The same power that allowed me to work miracles is going to dwell in you. The power of the Holy Ghost, the risen Lord in our midst. So God speaks to us today. Because of the resurrection, we can be forgiven. You say, well, I thought Jesus died on a cross so we could be forgiven. Yes, he did. But did you know that his death would have been in vain if he hadn't risen from the dead? Because he wouldn't have been any different than anybody else who died on a cross. You see, we know that we're forgiven because he rose from the dead and conquered death, and he conquered sin, that he was who he claimed to be, the resurrection and the life. So we know for certain that we can be forgiven because of this day. That his death on the cross was not in vain. He died in our place. We can be healed, whether it be emotionally or physically. We can be changed profoundly. So many of us in this auditorium have been changed dramatically. Oh, I think about it over my 41 years, all the people. You know, there's some people in our church that you wouldn't want to be sitting next to them if you'd saw them 20 years ago. And now you love on them. You think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread, but 20 years ago, oh, you wouldn't want to be there. You didn't know if they'd kill you or not. You know, we have all kinds of people in this church. In fact, I have all kinds of people just on my staff. Hallelujah. If I told you all the horrible things just some of the folks that are on my staff had done in the past, before they knew the Lord, you'd say, how did they get where they're at? Everybody say it. The grace of God. We are forgiven. We can be healed. We can be changed. We can be used by God, having his power operate through us. We can. We can. We can be a living testimony of our Lord's resurrection. You know, wherever you are at. You know, I, I think about so many in our church who were so lost and now they're found. Their life was such a mess. And when you see them today, you see their whole countenance has changed. Their whole life has changed. They are a living testimony of God's grace. We can know that not only our sins are forgiven, but heaven is our home. When Jesus rose from the dead, he declared to all of humanity, there is a way that you can have eternal life, and I've provided it. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so he invites all of us to come to know him as Savior. That is the power of this day. And that is the power of a changed life that we see in Simon. And it's a declaration to all of us that God wants to use us as well. If you believe that, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And I want you just out loud to thank the Lord for Easter. Lord, we thank you for that on Easter. You rose from the dead. I want to say thank you, Lord, for every person that came.
I hope the word encouraged you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the King Central Podcast. God bless you. Walk in power and walk in the fullness of that which God has given you.